started, I kind of get my notes together um, and figure out where I'm going. Uh, something to ponder. You don't have to answer out loud. In fact, don't. Um, why did God save you? If you're here and you're a believer, why did God save you? you ever think about that? What's the reason? Was it because you were so cool, so good? That, that clearly wasn't the truth. Um, so just as we look at this, this concept today of harvest hands, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I ask you to keep that in the back of your mind. Why did God save us? So um, let's open again. Let's just have another quick prayer as we begin our, uh, a word from the Lord. Father, I stand here unworthy to proclaim your goodness, but I will. Lord, you have, uh, I believe you have put this message on my heart, Lord, to proclaim to your people. And Father, I just would ask that you would just uh, give me a sense of calm as I go through it. And Lord, uh, that you would allow me to proclaim your word as you would have it proclaimed, not as I have it noted, but as you would have it proclaimed. And so, Father, just to be with us today. Let's take this out of here, Lord, and be able to use it uh, as we seek to serve you in all that we do. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 today, uh, verses 10 through 17. Um, so let's just go ahead and read our text, and then we'll just, we'll just tear it apart bit by bit and see what we can learn. Um, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the believers at Corinth. He says, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones wood, hay, straw, or wood, hay, stubble. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work uh, in which he is built on remains, he will receive a reward. If a man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. So, Paul, in, 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 in writing to the church at Corinth, in, in verse 9, he, he, he switches. He talks, he's talking about a farmer, and he, switches, and he uses a farmer as an analogy to our faith, our walk in Christ. And now he's going to switch it to a builder. And so what we really have here is you got three points in this. So you have the foundation of what his message or what he's telling us in this example, this metaphor. The foundation is verses 10 and 11. Then you skip down to verses 16 and 17, and that's the mandate. That's what he's going to call upon us to do. And then in the middle, in verses 12 through 15, is the reward for living for him. So, again, let's, let's go back. We're going to reread it, and we're going to, but we're going to read it in the order that, 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 that I'm, I'm going to use it today. So the foundation, here's our foundation. 10 and 11, according to the grace which God has given me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. 
and another, that means another teacher, another pastor, is building on it. But each man or woman, that, that, then that takes it from pastor level down to all of us. But each man uh, must be careful on how he builds on the foundation that Paul has laid. All right? For no man can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So in other words, in simplicity, what he's saying is, the foundation that I laid for you as a congregation is based on Christ. So build from Christ. Don't build from me, Paul. And if you go back in 1 Corinthians, and there's a lot of arguing about people say, I'm a follower of Paul, I'm a follower of Apollos. And so what he's trying to do is cut that off and say, no, your foundation, even though I proclaimed it to you, your foundation is Christ. Not a man. So that's the foundation, 10 and 11. Now, we, look, we go to the end. 16 and 17 is the mandate. So here's the mandate for us, the direction, the calling for you and me out of this verse. It says, do you not know? In other words, be aware. You do realize, don't you, that you are a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. Holy just means separate, right? He's pulled us out of the mire of the world. He set us apart for something, and that's what we'll get to today. So no, so we have the foundation. We have the mandate. We're supposed to be holy, different. And then the reward for that is then found in 12 through 15. It says, so, now if any man builds on the foundation, which is Christ, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, each man's work, so we're going to build on the foundation no matter what. The question is, are you going to build with wood, hay, stubble, or gold, silver, precious jewels? And then, how will you know? Well, you'll know this because it says, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And it, uh, and itself, and the fire will test the quality of our work. If any man's work which he built upon remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work burned up, he will suffer loss, Right? But he himself will be saved, yet as though through the fire. So, it's interesting as we look at the foundation of what Paul is telling the church at Corinth, which is what he's telling us, is according to the grace of God that's been given to me, and here's what we see in verse 10, each man must be careful how you're building on it. Caution, careful, look at what you're doing. In other words, if I say, if I proclaim Christ as my Lord and Savior, then i got to build on that foundation as my Lord and Savior. And I think the question here, when you start looking at it, if i got to be careful, why do I need to be careful? Because other people are looking at me, they're seeing me, and they're going to say, well, wait a minute, are you living out what you say? Are you holy and separate, or are you just like the rest of the world? Can they tell us apart? Maybe on Sunday morning you look, you act, you look and you act and you talk different, but what happens on Monday afternoon? Is it any different? And that's the foundation that we're building upon here. And verse 11 says, you can't lay a foundation other than the one that's in Christ. In other words, it's not about me. It's not about Pastor Conrad. It's not about John. It's not about any of us. It's about Christ. This church must be Christ-focused, not program-focused, not uh, things that we do. All the things we do are good, but if Christ isn't the center of what we're doing, of any ministry we're doing, any opportunity we have, if Christ isn't the center of it, then we're wasting our time. That's what we've got to do as we look at this. So if you are born again, that means you have a foundation. And no one lays a foundation unless the original intent is to build upon it. That's what I want you to think. That's why I asked. Why did God save you? 
So when he did, what Paul is telling us is he, he put a foundation. Now, I'm not a builder, but, I understand, but I've done enough of it to understand that you just don't go out and dig footers and pour a foundation just because. You pour a foundation so that you can build something on top of that. And so when we look at that, from a, we took that and we take it from Paul's metaphor as a foundation. So if Christ laid the foundation in me, he saved me, what for? For me to build upon that. Well, how am I supposed to build upon that? I'm a fallen, sinful guy. Well, I am, but I'm indwelt by the Spirit. So if I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit, then He has the ability to allow me to build upon it for what? For kingdom things, not for Raymond's things. That's the difference when we look at this. So the first question is, why did God save you? And if our salvation is foundational, then we have to look at the basis of our salvation. So he didn't save us, as I said earlier, because he looked down and went, oh, that's a really good guy right there. That's a good gal. I think, I think they would be a benefit to the kingdom. No, it's not what they look at. In fact, it's the opposite. God looked down and said, despite who you are and what you have done, I'm going to extend to you my unwarranted, undeserved gift and grace, gift of grace and mercy, if, if you will only believe. So the onus comes on us at that point. He's calling. And you know what? If you're in here right now and you don't know Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior, we're going to have an invitation later which I will urge you to come down. But I tell you what, if you don't want to come down, you think you're embarrassed or you don't want to ask the questions or whatever, come find me. I'll be down here afterwards and we can talk about it because I can't think of anything I would rather do today that help lead you to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It'll change your life. It changed mine. Absolutely changed mine. It is by grace through faith that we are saved and nothing else. So back to the statement from the scripture and the question according to it. The statement from verse 11, if this Christ is a foundation, following Paul's metaphor, why did God lay the foundation of Christ in us? Um, for the explicit intention of us to build on it. So are you growing? That's the question. Are you growing? Are you seeking kingdom things in your life? Are you seeking to bring glory to Him in all that you do? Or are you just seeking to bump through life, you know, kind of come along, you know, I get it in, I got my ticket, I'm going to heaven one day. But what about the rest of the people out there? What about the people that are sick and dying? What about the lost people that are your neighbors, that are your friends, that are your family? What about them? If our focus is always on us and not on them, then our focus is, is wrong. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. So therefore, we must be serving. When Paul was writing this letter to the church in Corinth... The temple, the concept of the temple was very was, was well known. So in, the, in that, that time in the world, temples, and I don't care whether it's pagan temple, temples were typically always on a big prominent thing. You look at the Parthenon, it's up in prominent, you see it. And of course, if you go and you look at the temple in Jerusalem, where was it? It was on the mount, the temple mount. You could see it from a long way away. It was there, and so to the Jews, the temple in Jerusalem was so important because why? Because pre-Christ, that's where God dwelt was in the temple itself. So in the time before Christ, what would happen was the, the, God dwelled in, in the temple in the Holy of Holies, which is the small little area back there. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was and all these things. And you couldn't go in the Holy of Holies. In other words, you couldn't walk into God's presence or you would be killed immediately. 
The only person who could was the high priest one time a year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. He would go back in there to make a sacrifice for all of the people, uh, sins of omission, ones you've done, sins of commission or didn't know and those that you did. And then he would make one sacrifice, the, sin, the, the atoning covering of sin for all of the people for the year. The problem was, as soon as the Day of Atonement was over, you had sinned. Now you're starting to sacrifice again and again and again and again. And that's what the, that's what the law called, and that's, what, that's how everything progressed. And you think of the burden that that put on you. Every time you sin, you've got to try to remember what you sin, and then you've got to make a sacrifice for it again and again and again. And so it became very challenging. And then what happened was, Jesus called it my father's house. And then what happened in, in Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51... This is what happened when Jesus was on the cross. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. In other words, he, he, he died. Physically died on the cross. But then read the next verse. And behold, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks split. The veil was torn. So guess what happened? You kind of, so I don't know if you think about it. I think about tearing of things as, as, as destructive. And it was, but it was actually a great thing because now God went from being in the Holy of Holies. The, the veil gets torn. God steps out. And that's what happened when Jesus rose from the grave three days later. That's him coming out behind the veil and saying, you know what? Instead of me being behind the veil hiding, I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell in you. And I'm going to build a foundation in you so that you can tell people about me. That's our mandate. I mean, it is. Loving God, loving people, serving the world. The very thing that goes into all three of those statements is telling people about Jesus. Is getting people that know who Jesus is and bringing them along in their faith so that when the winds of the storms of life come along, that they can stand firm as opposed to falling over in it. Don't miss the, the significance of the event. No longer did we need an earthly intermediary between God and us. That was the old way. By the way, it's not, it wasn't a new way from a perspective of um, they changed plans, but when he triumphantly rose from the grave, that was the calling for us to be able to live with God. We have a way to get rid of our sin or the sin problem that keeps us from being able to be in God's presence. Romans 3.10 says, none is righteous, no, not one. So Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what does that mean? It means I can't be good enough to earn my way to God. Stop trying. Stop trying. Jesus did all the work for you so that then you can stand before God one day. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, but God's free gift through Christ is eternal life. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Savior, man, these verses are speaking to you. Romans 5.8 says, confess Jesus as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. It's not anything to work towards. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise from God's word. He's not going to let it down. He follows up that promise, by the way, once you get saved and says, hey, by the way, unlike everybody else, or anybody else in your life, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. Never. That's a good thing. Because you know what? We don't like to think of ourselves as letting other people down, but we do. Jesus, that's right. Jesus will never let you down. He will always be there with you. Back to the first question, why did God save you? He saved you, number one, two things. Number one, 
because he loves you. All right? He looked down at a wretch like me and said, I love you so much. I want you to spend eternity with me. And therefore, I'm sending my son to the cross for Raymond. That should give us pause. The second reason is because he put us on a foundation and he intends to build upon us if we will allow him. You know, that's where this free will comes in. Am I going to allow him to build on me or am I just going to live for me? I've got my ticket, but we'll talk about that in James in a minute. So the foundation is Christ and the laying of the foundation, our salvation, God did an unimaginable thing. He dwelt himself in us through the Holy Spirit. Um, Those aren't my thoughts. Those are right out of the verses. And that's where the mandate comes in. It says, do you not know that you are the temple of God? Excuse me. Uh, And that the Spirit of God dwells in you? The same power, the same power that raised God from, raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. I mean, that's where the overwhelming, to me, overwhelming when I think about that, the power that literally raised somebody from the dead dwells in me. I better be getting after getting some stuff done for the Lord. It gives me, it lets me know I have the ability to. Verse 17 says, do you not know that you are holy? You are holy, you are set apart. In other words, I'm going to build it, I'm going to save you, I'm going to build a foundation of Jesus Christ in you, and then... I need you to be set apart, holy, and doing things for the kingdom. That's what it is. Everything else, and we'll talk about where that goes. So the temple that's used here is singular and plural, all right? Because talking about in, in seven, 16 and 17, the temple. It's singular because I am the temple as a born-again believer being indwelt. But we, it's also a plural. We are the temple as we come together. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we form this congregation, whatever you want to call it, right? Because collectively, we can do more together, whether it's collective giving, that then we can send to missionaries. By the way, we've got two more missionaries coming in, one this month, one next month, for y'all to vet um, and see if we want to support. Those are important because those are frontline people. And we should support them with our money, but we should support them with our prayers, too. We got to because that's what, that's what the scriptures told us that we should do. So the church is the temple of God. Here's some examples. First Peter 2, 4, and 5 says, And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living, you also talking to us, as living stones are being built upon as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. What kind of what are spiritual sacrifices? Those are ones that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So when we look at this verse from, from 1 Peter, what he's telling us is, he said, look, the living stone, Christ, has been rejected by men, but a choice and precious, but he's choice and precious in the sight of God. Jesus was rejected by men, but God looks at Jesus and says, I mean, this is this he's my precious stone. And you also, if you are a believer, it says, what are you? you are as living stones. For what? Being built upon as a spiritual house. So that's all of us coming together, spiritual house, for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So you say, well, why did I get saved? Why did God save me? Because A, He loved me, and He expects that I'm going to put up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to Him through Christ. So that's what our mandate is. 
Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 4. He said, uh, 9 through 12, Two are better than one because they have a good return on their labor. For if either one of them fails, the other one will lift up the companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another there to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together to keep warm, how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands will not quickly turn. So the wise counsel of Solomon plays itself into the church. So what do we do? We come together, and that's why I I disagree with people that say, well, I don't have to belong to a church to be a Christian. Well, that's true, because you can be born again. But you're, you're, you're doing contrary to Scripture. Because what, this, what Ecclesiastes is saying, is he's telling us, is that we come together to do what? We study his word, we strengthen each other, we build the saints, we encourage each other. That's a big part of it. And you know what else? We, we admonish each other sometimes. Sometimes you've got to do that, right? But if you're not building relationships and challenging each other, look at verse 17b. For the temple of God is holy... And that is what you are. So I translate that to look at and say, sometimes we have to challenge each other to be holy. Say, hey, man, you know, you know, and again, when you build relationships and friendships through church, brothers and sisters in Christ, you build this thing where you've got the ability then to come to them quietly to say, hey, man, uh, you're not looking really holy and set apart lately. Have you thought about fill in the blank, you know? But if we're not willing to do that with our brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, go back, go back to Proverbs. Iron sharpens iron. What does that mean? You know, sharpening is cutting things. You know, when you sharpen something, you're grinding it down. I don't know about you. Sometimes I need to be ground on. All right? It just, I'm not as sharp as I should be with these. For a moment, let's pick up this concept of the temple. And this is what I want you to see about this idea of the temple when he talks about the temple where God dwelt pre-Christ, and then we are the temple afterwards. So what was we talked about? Everywhere you went in that pagan world at that time, the temples were typically up on a high hill, so you could see them from a long way away, which is exactly what the temple was in Jerusalem. You could see it from a long way away. Why? Because you would marvel at its uniqueness. It didn't look... The temple in Jerusalem, I've never been there, but I've seen pictures of it. Uh, The temple did not look like any other building. It was unique, Right? So, if the actual temple where God dwelled pre-Christ was unique, then why wouldn't the temple where God dwells post-Christ be unique? We should stand out. We should look different. Jesus said in Matthew 5, individually and as a collective temple, which is what we are, the world should marvel at our uniqueness. Should marvel. Here's what he said. I know you know these verses. Matthew 5, 14 and 15. You are the light of the world. Well, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was the light of the world. Well, he is, but so are we because Jesus dwells in us. I mean, take, take a step back and think about that. You ever think about yourself? You ever wake up and go, hey, man, I'm the light of the world. That would sound kind of arrogant, right? <laughs> but, but Jesus said you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. And here's this, not so that they can go, look what a good guy you are or a good gal you are, but instead so that they can glorify the Father who is in heaven. Let me give you Raymond's paraphrase on what that means. When people look at me, 
and see good works that I'm doing, what they see is, or what they, they think in their mind, these are people that know me well, going, that's not Raymond. He's not capable of doing anything like that. That's got to be God working in Raymond. That's the difference. I need to be unique. We need to be unique so that we look, and so that people look at us and say, man, that can't be Greg. No way. That's got to be God working in Greg. Because I know Greg doesn't have that kind of patience. He doesn't have that kind of love. Right? <laughs> So that's got to be Christ working in him. That's how we do. That's what the scripture means. In verse 10, Paul says, I'm a wise master builder, but, or therefore, each man must be careful how he builds. Careful in what way? Verse 11, the foundation that each of us is individually and collectively brought to build. So there's three things on which the foundation to build. That's what he says. He says, build on. Each man be careful. So be careful how? First, the book alone, God's word. This is, what, this is what we live by. It's not, um, it's, it, it's, it's there for inspiration, it's there for motivation, it's there for direction. In other words, it's what the book says, not what we say. And you know what, those, those are hard things sometimes. I don't, want to, I don't want to deal with that, but that's what God's word says. So then it takes us to be able to come back and say, Lord, I, I, I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling with living the way you want me to live through this in this particular area. Work in me to change me. Because you know what? I've been trying to change me for weeks and months and years, and I can't seem to change me. What that tells me is I don't have the ability to. So therefore, I need God through the power of the Holy Spirit to change and conform me to the likeness of Christ. That's what it's all about, changing and conforming, sanding, all that rough, get, get all that rough sand off of it. Second, the power of the Holy Spirit will teach us and guide us. In other words, the power of God that dwells in you, not your own strength. It is Christ in you that does that. And last is, the, the third thing is feet, feet, like as in your feet, right? Um, knowing the book and having the Holy Spirit power will have no impact on the kingdom of God and saving souls unless we put ourselves into action and we're doing things. Otherwise, we're just sitting back as undercover brothers at home. Yeah, okay, I'm good. I'm studying my word. And it is. You ought to study your word. But at the same time, what are we doing to bring glory to God through all that we do, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's with your, 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 your family, your friends, all the things that are doing. Our passages today shows you, I believe, shows these three distinct areas, right? The foundation, this is who you are, right? This is what you're building on. The mandate, be holy, be set apart, be unique, so that then people will be attracted to you because of your uniqueness. Say, why are you so different? How come you don't get agitated at all these things? How come you don't, you're not, you're not you know, in other words, your life isn't like mine. We're up, down, up, down, up, down. And you go, no, mine's kind of like this. Well, how come yours is like that? Because my joy comes from the Lord, not my circumstances. Those kind of things. Really, what do you mean? Life circumstances, yeah, sometimes they're tough. Sometimes I don't like them. Sometimes, oftentimes, I don't understand them. But you know what? But I know that God's got this. He's in this with me all the way through. The middle part here deals with the judgment seat of Christ, 12 through 15. So um, says, if any man builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Now, what that would implicate to me is that it doesn't, now look, it doesn't say gold, silver, precious stones or wood, hay, stubble. It doesn't say that. It just says all six together. Why would that be? Well, I believe the reason is, is because the only person who could only build with, with gold, silver, and precious stones was Jesus Christ himself, because that's perfection. 
So all of us interchangeably, I'm build, I go over here and I lay one course good block, then I put some straw on it. And then I want to tray another course of block on top of that. But guess what? It won't work because of the straw or the straw might catch fire or whatever it is. So in other words, we're all. So the question I think out of this, it comes to me anyway, is I need to be focused on am I, and you can use this as a New Year's resolution if you want. In other words, for, so this year I want to make sure I, I'm doing less of the wood, hay, straw levels and more of the block levels as we come through. Um, so what this is, is this is the judgment seat of Christ is what they're talking about. And don't get them confused. There is the judgment seat of Christ, and there is the great white throne judgment in, in the book of Revelation. And the great white throne judgment deals with believers and unbelievers. Here's what it says. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, then he is thrown in the lake of fire. That's the great white throne judgment. Come in, name's in the book, that way, name's not in the book, that way. Okay, now... In addition to that, the judgment seat of Christ is referenced in Romans and 2 Corinthians. And Romans and 2 Corinthians are written to believers. So there is a judgment seat that you and I as believers will go before the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's read what, read what it is. Romans 14, 10 through 12. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. It's real. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that, here's, here's what this is going to do, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. In other words, it, recompense for your deeds in the body of Christ. So it says what we're going to do is stand before him and we're going to be recompensed for our deeds as brothers, as Christians, right, and either good or bad. Now, the judgment seat of... Well, we'll get into that. Before the judgment seat, right, we have to build on the foundation that Christ has, has, has come to light. The judgment seat is not going to take account of your sin. and uh, all because, Why? Because all your sins were paid for at the cross. All of my sins were paid for at the cross. So the judgment seat, is a, judgment seat of Christ isn't about salvation or non-salvation. You can't lose your salvation because of it. But here's the bottom line. It says, you know, and remember, because of the cross, we can stand before God. It's not looking at our sins, but the recompensing of what we've done in the body is the idea of, okay, I laid the foundation in you, Raymond. What did you do for me? I did it all for you. And I asked you to proclaim. I said, go, therefore, make disciples. Teach, equip, all the things. God has called each one of us for different things. Not everybody's called to do what God has called me to do. But not everybody has called, you know, God's called Jan to do stuff too. Different stuff than me. But he's called. Are we faithful to it? If any man builds on this foundation, it'll become evident. This is, this is the, 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 the judgment. It will become evident with gold, silver, precious stones. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of the work. And if any man's work which is built upon remains, he'll receive a reward. So in other words, you burn, what the hay stuff goes down, what's left. But if any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer all, loss, but he himself will, not be, will, 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 be, will be saved. So you see, don't lose your salvation because of it. When the Lord saved you, he placed a foundation in you, just like he did in me, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so life can either be about bringing glory to God or indifference to the God, 
because I don't look at it as negative. In other words, if I'm really truly saved and I'm not doing things for the kingdom to bring glory to God, is it really because I'm against God? I, it, my opinion, my view, is that most Christians are just apathetic. I mean, they're just apathetic about it. It's like, hey, yeah, you know, I got my ticket. You know, if you get one, cool. But if you don't, uh, versus us sitting down and having really serious prayer over people that are lost because we really understand what the implication of that is. Do we have a burden for them? We are going to have to answer for our lives, and I say lives of faith. That's what the judgment seat about. It's not about that. I think it's a matter of, I don't think, I know. It's a matter of, do we want to get before the Lord one day and look back and go, all I bring to you, Father, is a pile of ash. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. Verse 12 tells us that there are two kinds of materials that we can build with. Worthy materials, right? Obviously gold, silver, precious jewels, and unworthy materials. Those that build with gold, silver, or precious jewels are what James, in the book of James, calls doers. And those that build with wood, hay, stubble are what he calls hearers. In other words, I hear the word, right? I've heard the word. I understand the word. But I'm kind of indifferent to the word. Because I got, what, more important things to do? Is there anything more important than serving the Lord? Is there anything more important than bringing glory to God in everything that we do, day in, day out? Whether it's for me as a as a husband, as a father, as a son, as a son-in-law, all those things. Those are all, am I bringing glory to God in how I do all those things? It's easy to say, oh, I'm bringing glory to God when I'm standing up here teaching or whatever. That's cool. But what about all the other areas of my life? The people that I interact with day to day. The sole difference is that doers hear and do something about it. And I think that's what we have a church of. I really do. I think we have a church of doers because we have a lot of people working in a lot of areas. And as this church continues to grow, then theoretically the number of doers would continue to grow because we'll have more people that need stuff done for them, more people in nursery that need to be tended to, more people in extended session, more people to be fed. As believers, um, we have to remember we still wrestle with the old self. And that's why I was saying to me, you build one course with good stuff and then another course with bad stuff. Well, the bad stuff's got to get out of there somehow. Um, when I look at my own life, I, I know, I mean, I just know for a fact. Um, I'm not going to tell you all about it, but I know all the things. That, oh, I know all the wood, hay, stubble that I keep building on. And I look and go, man, gummit, I shouldn't have built with that. I needed, to build with, I needed to build with blocks. I needed to build with gold and silver and precious jewels. And I look back. But, you know, the great thing about that is God always gives me a do-over. He gives me a door. He says, hey, man, I forgive you. I forgive you for building with all that. Now let's get on with kingdom things. That's the key. That's the key. We have to ask ourselves, in other words, our faith is nothing except a belief that you're not going to hell unless you put feet on it. And James says faith without works is dead. Verse 13 says each man's work will become evident because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire is there to test, right? It's to test what we did. It, so when you look at the analogy, it's to test what we did, watch this, with the privileges and opportunities that God gave us. 
Are we going to take advantage of them? Or are we so myopic and we've got our blinders on because it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. I can't even see the people around me that are hurting. Because why? Because I'm looking at me. I'm, I'm on the inside. Um, so are we using the best of our time and talents and all those things for the Lord? And I came across this list of things that you, we could consider that may be judged. It's man's list, so you know, I, I don't know exactly what the great white throne, I mean, what the judgment seat of Christ, I mean, I, I do know. Uh, man, you spend a lot of time fooling around with things that were unimportant, things that are going to burn up. That would be the way I look at it. But here's some others. Here's, some, here's a list. Just a, how we treat others, how we use our God-given abilities, how we use our God-given money, because it's all from Him. Uh, how we run the race that God has chosen for us. Your race different than mine. How we run the race, that, uh, how we effectively control the old nature. In other words, am I living more in the flesh or am I living more in the spirit? How many people we witness to. How we endure trials. How faithful we are to the word of God and to the flock of God. If any man's work which is built upon remains, he will receive a reward. In Scripture, they're called crowns. And you look it up, it would be a good study for you to look. Um, so we have, the, so when, when, when you look up the study or you study this idea of crowns as rewards, the idea isn't that you're going to take this crown and put it on, because if you put the crown on, then, everybody's, then what are you doing? You're saying, look at me, because I got a cool crown, right? No, the idea is we get crowns that then when we are, are on our knees before the Lord, we cast them out. We cast them there. And so, again, that's the idea behind it. So when you stand before the Lord with, at the judgment seat, can you look and go, man, I got this giant bag of crowns I'm going to dump out. Or are you going to go, I got some ashes. I expect you don't want those, do you, Lord? That's harsh, but um, sometimes we need to think of it that way. Paul clearly understood about this idea of rewards. And because if you, if, you, if you look at his epistles, let me give you some words that I know you've heard before. These, I, I'm sure when you hear them, oh, that's Paul. What, what, what are some of the things he said? I run the race for the prize. I press on. I forget what is behind. I labor all for the glory of the Lord. That's what he did. Take solace, though, in the fact that, remember, Paul also said, and I'm paraphrasing, huh, why do I do the things I know I'm not supposed to do and I don't do the things I know I am supposed to do? Right? He was a man just like us. But you know what? When he said those things, when he said that sentence out loud, you know, that's his frustration. So you got to read into the scripture. That's frustration. He's like, man, how come I always die? I don't do the things I'm supposed to do, and I don't do the things I'm not. And then you know what he says? But, but I forget what's behind, right? I forget that wood, hay, stubble that I just built on, and I'm going to labor forward for the glory of God. So that's what we do. We forgive ourselves, and we, and we move forward. Um, if any man's burnt by top, he will, he will suffer loss. And again, it's not sal- you're not losing salvation. Um, it's there to remind us we don't lose our salvation. It's just have we put all of our energy in the stuff that doesn't matter? Man, if I think back on weeks and months of time that I just spend time on stuff that doesn't matter because it doesn't bring glory to God. It's not kingdom building. I mean, we've got a finite amount of time on earth. And none of us know how long, but we've got a finite amount of time. And so you have to look at it. Christianity is one generation away. This church is one generation away of dying. This church right here, 
one generation away of dying. I mean, go to Europe and look at all the churches. Go, go here. I mean, there's, there's places all over this state where churches are now restaurants and movie houses and all kinds of things. One generation has died. So we got to get after kingdom things so that this continues to go on. So you might ask me, so what, what does this anything have to do with this idea of a title of harvest hands? Because I think it challenges you and me when we look at what is kingdom work? What do we do? So let me read this. This is Matthew 35, Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Jesus said, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel, uh, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Into his harvest. Right? Not into a harvest. Into his harvest. In other words, he's looking he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so there's all these people out there that need to hear that. That's his harvest. And so what does Jesus say? Jesus says the laborers are few. Some of your translations may say workers. Laborers is a much better word because if you look at the Greek root of that word, what it means is field laborer. Field laborer. So put, you know, I know everybody's got a connotation of what that is. So here's, I kind of think of two, two types of, let's call it two types of outdoor labor. All right, one can be getting on your, your riding mower and scooting around a yard. I guess kind of theoretically that's labor. But the labor he's talking about here is climbing out at the field and there's rows upon rows upon rows upon rows of cucumbers or whatever. And it's hot and it's steamy and it's buggy. And you've got to look and you've got to say, I've got to go down that row and get every one of them and then turn around and come back down the next row and get every one of them. Because the harvest is ripe, the rain is coming, or the hail's coming, or whatever it is, I got to get them out of the ground now. That's when he says, His harvest. He needs laborers for His harvest. He's got people out there who need to hear about Jesus, and He calls on us to do it. And you know what He reminds us? It's not easy. Labor for the kingdom is not easy. But you know what? Going to the cross wasn't easy. And that's what we have to compare it to, a field laborer. I mean, getting after it. But you know how you can get after it? The reason you can get after it when you do that? And that pulls us back into where we are. Because I, I get at the beginning of the row, the sun's coming up. I know i got a lot of work to do. And I look next to me, and there's Scott Jumper, right? And I look over here, and there's Nikki Pick. And I know they're going down the roads with me. And when I get tired, I say, man, my bag's too tight. Scott's going, come on, you can do it. You can do it. We're going forward. we got to get to the end. The harvest is ripe. What are we doing about it? We have to have a mindset. It's like here. We've, talk, we've been talking about there's some renovations and things that are going to happen here and cleaning things up, doing all kinds of things because we're growing. We need room for more people. But you know what? We can push this building over tomorrow, and we can build a big, opulent building, right? But if we don't have the right foundation and we don't understand the mandate and we're not seeking the rewards... It's of no use. It's pig on a lipstick, or lipstick on a pig, when you think about it. So the message, so, so, so harvest hands. I love the idea, and here's where I got it from. Is read the same verses out of Matthew 9, um, 35, 30. I'm going to read it out of a paraphrase, which is the message paraphrase, and listen to this. 
Then Jesus made a circuit of the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news, and healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. When he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So he continues, uh, uh, so confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few laborers on your knees pray for harvest hands. People willing to go out and do the work of the kingdom. Do you have compassion for the weary and the scattered? If so, let's reach out to the Lord of the harvest and say like Jeremiah did, here I am, Lord, send me. That should be our mindset. Amen? Amen. All right. Aaron, you can come up. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this word, and, and it's challenging. I know it's challenged me uh, as I studied it because I realize, and I know that's the reason that, that you put it here for us, Lord, is so that we can reflect and say, how much time am I really putting into wood, hay, stubble? Things that are going to burn up, things that don't mean anything for eternity. And Lord, I know you also have given us, um, Lord, you've given us desires, you've given us things in our lives, not that, you know, we're supposed to be monks and, 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 and never focus on anything else. You've allowed things in our lives that cause us to enjoy. You've given us enjoyment that we get out of whatever it is, whether it's out of hobbies, things that we do. Lord, you've given us a gift of laughter. There's all these things, Lord. But the focus, the focus on those things is I've put these there for you to enjoy, Lord, for, or to, for you to, the Lord's put them there for us to enjoy, to get benefit out of, to get enjoyment out of. He's not like a stoic life, but Lord, at the same time, you're saying don't get so caught up in those that you lose your focus on me. And Father, I don't want to lose my focus on you. I don't want to do it. So Father, I just ask that uh, as we move forward with this week, Lord, we have such a great uh, church of servants and laborers, Lord, but that we double down on it, Lord, that we realize I haven't been laboring. I've been riding the mower. So let me get out in the field and get some work done. Father, I just ask that uh, today, um, Lord, you would challenge me to reflect on all the things that I do. And, Lord, see which ones I need to cast aside so that I can further your kingdom. As he sings in Jesus' name, amen.